Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, January 9th, 2018, and I'm back with Shaka. We got to recap what happened this past weekend and wildcard weekend because it was fucking wild, okay? Uh, Shaka, how you doing, man? How was your wildcard weekend? I'm good. I mean, look, it lived up to the name, man. I, I, It was a good format to change in the NFL, and it's, it's paying off right now. We're having some fun games. Some One boring game. But the rest were great. I will say it was a boring game, but we all kind of figured that Jags-Bills game would be pretty boring. Yeah. But, I mean, listen, I think the other games, in a lot of ways, they, they did not disappoint. They were exciting, they were wild, and they were definitely unpredictable. Um, great. Let's jump right into this. Uh, we're going to structure this a little bit. We're going to recap some of these games and kind of lead them right into the divisional previews. And I want to start off with the Falcons beating the Rams. Um, now, to kind of sort of frame this a little bit so Shaka and I can rip this apart... Rams were heavily favored. They were clearly the talk of the town. Everybody was talking about Sean McVay, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, you know, the innovation on offense, number one scoring offense, going from worst to best. And, you know, I think there was an expectation that they were going to come and smack around a Falcons team that had kind of underperformed all season. And boy, were we wrong, man. I mean, this Falcons team came in and the defense... This defense with Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, this athletic, speedy defense that essentially nearly won the Super Bowl last year, but everybody was kind of like, oh, they're young, you know, who knows if they can replicate it. I mean, they were the backbreaker in this game. They were the ones who went out there, shut down Todd Gurley, and essentially forced Jared Goff to make all of these big plays. And I think that was a hell of a game plan by Dan Quinn and that um, coaching staff for the Falcons. And that's not even talking about the things that Matt Ryan and Julio Jones did on their side of the ball, even though they were dealing with Aaron Donald in that pass rush. So I want to have some of your initial thoughts on this game, Shaka. What were the things that jumped out for you? Well, I mean, look at it this way. When you look at um, the Rams, their production in terms of offense, you, I, I would take those numbers any day. Jared Goff threw for 250 yards. Yep. Gurley had over 100 yards rushing. Robert Woods had a Robert Woods, baby. Fantastic game. I would take that any day of the week from, like, you know, my, my, three, my three-headed dragon. But you know what really kind of determined this? The Rams didn't really get to touch the football much in this game, man. Yep. The Falcons, the Falcons ran the football uh, damn near forty times. They controlled the time of possession. It, they dominated it. They didn't really give this high-powered offense a chance to even breathe on the field. And you know, when you look at the numbers across the board, they're pretty much evenly matched in terms of third-down conversions. You know, first downs, everything. Like just, but the problem is, is that the Rams had no chance to even go off. You know, their gun was pretty much muzzled from the start. Uh, the Falcons got that early lead, and they did exactly what they should have been doing to other teams, <laughs> the Patriots. That's okay, man. I've been coughing all week, too. Go ahead. They dominated the time of possession, uh, and that's it. You snuff them out. Uh, look, super props to the Falcons for getting it this far, because I've been saying it since the regular season. They've been kind of underwhelming, and... That little stretch run down towards the end of the season was, I, I said, I was like, well, kind of see what team we really have here. And if they're really committed to kind of getting back to the Super Bowl and, and showing up. And they took out a Rams team, which heavily favored, fantastic defense, fantastic offense. And you know what? They just, they were that giant guy with the arm outstretched and you had the little kid. And he's just swinging away and swinging at air. It was it was a very impressive win. I was, this was certainly, 
I really need to just, they were so prepared, this Falcons team. And this was a real moment where I know we talk a lot about playoff poise and being there before and being in the moment. And I mean, it feels like you can't articulate it any better than this game because the Rams, you know, were clearly new to the big stage and everything was theirs to lose. And the Falcons came in. They attacked uh, the uh, the Rams' offense in just the right ways. They didn't give them any big plays. They contained them where they needed to. Um, yep. But at the same time, you know, you said it. Like, Jared Goff still got his. Robert Woods still got his. But then you look at Matt Ryan and that offense. And now, they made some mistakes. Okay, there were some drop passes. All right, they were still not very good in the red zone. I mean, there were multiple red zone possessions where the Falcons just came away with a field goal. Yeah. But but then you look back at those two muffed punts by Farrell Cooper. This is an all-pro yeah. returner. And these are just, I'm sorry, but you look back and those are two gigantic possessions that a team like the Falcons, who have already been to the Super Bowl and right now with a wide-open NFC, this is a team that could easily have a path all the way back to the Super Bowl. They take advantage of those miscues. And there were very few miscues by the Falcons, aside from them not being that particularly amazing in the red zone. I mean, they just played with so much poise. Matt Ryan was amazing under pressure. And you have been saying it all season, Julio Jones. This guy, when he gets to the big stage, he steps up. And I mean, you've you've said, how many times have you said to me, Sam, why aren't they just throwing to Julio Jones 20 times a game? And yeah, it's like is, they finally listened. Formula. This is secret formula. It's not a secret formula. And he basically, it's, it's almost like having Jordan in your team and trying to play a team game. Let him have the football. Yeah. Let him have the ball. Let him create. Like, you know, um, I, I'm glad they finally kind of come around in terms of just Matt Ryan's numbers. When you look back at Matt Ryan's numbers from his rookie year on, they were, you know, they're respectable. But when you put Julio Jones in that offense was when Matt Ryan exploded and we're talking about MVP candidate, you know, performances and, just really, Julio Jones is, you know, the butter on that bread. So, you know, go crazy. There's no one stopping you, man. Throw it to him every fucking time. Hats off to the Rams. Hell of a season. Cinderella story. It was exciting. Um, but it did feel like, you know, it felt like they just, they kind of got a little outcoached in this game. And, you know, for all the teams that, that where their seasons ended this past weekend, you know, they're probably in the best position. Everyone's optimistic. Everyone's excited right. to come back to next year. There's almost this feeling of, like, it's not a complete funeral that they lost and their season's over. That's a different story for the Chiefs. Chiefs, a whole other narrative. But the- I'm a little bit surprised. I'll make one last note here. Um, Todd Gurley usually is also very, very involved in the passing game. and They silenced him. Robert, Robert, yeah, Robert Woods' numbers were so big because I think the Falcons just really kind of they, they, they buckle down in that screen pass option that the the Rams like to insta you know they like to initialize in their offense they like to throw it to to probably one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL and let him create his own lanes and he only had four catches for 10 yards in this game I mean it doesn't really seem like much on paper but when you think about how good this offense is and how easily they usually get first down um, yardage it, it, it's a big big glaring hole. I, I got to quote Robert Mays on the Ringer NFL show. He, I was listening to him on the way home today, and he really mentioned how 
just amazing that this Falcons defense, the tackling, it's being able yeah. to not let Todd Gurley break that tackle, being That's able great. to sniff out the screen passes that exactly that you're talking about to limit that part of their offense, it was game-changing. You know, it's the small things, man. It really is. Sometimes, and again, they don't really show up in the box score, but you can tell a lot from when you look at a guy like Gurley who had 800 yards receiving. I mean, that's no small number in any means. Like, I think if you're not LaDainian Tomlinson, it obviously tells you what direction this offense goes in, where, you know, kind of where they get their life from. And when that life is snuffed out, what do you have? 13 points in a playoff game. My goodness. Uh, Wow. So great season for the Rams. Amazing win for the Falcons. Let's go into the divisional preview here. Falcons will go to Philadelphia to play my Eagles. So let's start talking about this matchup because essentially this is the first time in quite some time that the number one seed is literally an underdog to the Falcons. I think the Falcons are favored by about three points at this point, which I can understand because after what we saw their defense do to Jared Goff, I'm sure they're licking their chops when they start thinking about Nick Foles. And I mean, listen, I, I have a lot of respect for Nick Foles, probably not as much respect as the Philadelphia fan base right now, but I, I still think Nick Foles is fairly competent. Um, but I don't have a lot of faith in his ability to get chunk plays down the field. I think he can do it here and there, but inevitably you stop him and the offense sputters. And so I think you're going to see a little bit more of check downs from Nick Foles. And I'm sorry, but Eagles, you're going to have to run the ball more. You got Jay Ajayi, you got LeGarrette Blunt, you got Corey Clement. You, hell, you even got Wendell Smallwood. Get these guys in the mix. Start doing some Patriots stuff. Start doing more screen passes, more run pass options. I know you already have that, but there's got to be more run-heavy elements here if they really – if uh, personally, I think if they want to get this offense going. And it's going to be a challenge against this Falcons team, which looks ready to go right back up to the Super Bowl. They've got all the pieces in place. And, you know, Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, these guys are not scared of the big moment. They have no problem going into Philadelphia and smacking around – that Eagles defense. That feels like where the Eagles are really going to shine is, can they stop Julio Jones? Julio Jones, this feels like the thing that's going to turn the game because I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to stop him, whereas I do think the Falcons defense is going to be able to stop Nick Foles and the Eagles offense. What are you seeing from this matchup? That's a fair point. I want to jump off of that um, fact that I, I think Julio Jones is going gonna, is gonna to have a field day uh, offensively, I think, for the Falcons. Whether or not they score a ton of points or a little bit, I think his numbers in the box score are going to be astronomical. That being said, I you know, I, I I completely understand and I respect your idea and your strategy that the Eagles should run the football. And I would too, but I think it's whoever's on the board first is really going to kind of decide the winner here because obviously once you get on the board with either of these teams, you want to kind of keep them off the field. Uh, I think the Eagles, if they really are the underdog hand, they really want to kind of come out and make a statement. I say you let Nick Foles throw the football. I, I You know, again, he's got an arm, and I think you make a statement as well. I, I, I think back to a couple weeks ago where the Eagles were playing the Raiders and start the game, they ran the football several times downfield, just dominant, you know, just stop us, try and stop us, try and stop us. Uh, this Falcons secondary isn't that great. They can be beat. They can be beat through the air. As we saw, look, Robert Woods had a, a field day against them. Yeah. They, they have their holes. They have, you know, their opportunities to score against them. But I think, again, the Eagles can't play shy. I think they, they're going to have to kind of just accept the fact that Nick Foles is your quarterback and not Carson Wentz and still kind of open up the hood a little bit. I think they're going to not necessarily have to go crazy, but they have to pick moments. They, you know, they can't be gun-shy and 
doing, you know, seven yard, you know, nine yard outs and little um, slant passes to the sidelines, especially once the defense starts to pick up on those, you know, it, it just makes it more likely that Foles is going to get picked off. They're going to start telegraphing those passes. So I think they're going to have to rely on a lot of screen passes to the running backs, one. And two, I think every now and then, take a healthy shot downfield. You got Aguilar, who's got fantastic speed, and he can beat this defense. I think they really have to kind of, you know, believe in themselves and say, you know what, we're not underdogs here. We are, we're your problem. We're your worst nightmare. Who are you picking to win the Eagles-Falcons game? Man, oh man. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go with the, the home team here, man. I'm going to go with the home team in a close one. I, I know it probably sounds a little crazy. I'm going against the odds here. But I think the Eagles really need to make a statement in this game that we're, you guys should all be afraid of us. That you know We're good for a reason, and it's more than Carson Wentz. I am also going to pick the Eagles. I... I mean, these these picks are some of the most difficult ones I make because I love my Eagles team so much, because it's hard for me to ever pick against them, because in some way I feel like I'm jinxing them or cursing them and, you know, betraying them by not picking them because I always want them to win. Even though trying to be the unbiased observer, I'm looking at this matchup and, you know, the Falcons are... From what I saw last week, they're, they look like they're ready to go on a Super Bowl run. They could beat this Eagles team. Hell, they could go to Minnesota. They could go to New Orleans. And they could you know, smack around either one of those teams. And before you know it, they might be looking at the Patriots all over again in the Super Bowl. But I'm going to go with my Eagles. Because they do have a tenacious defense. And God damn it, that defense could cause some fucking havoc with Matt Ryan. Get a few turnovers, put them in the right scoring position, and like you said, it's probably going to be a close one and the Eagles can squeak it out. I'm going to give them my love. I'm picking the Eagles. Look, we also got to factor in here rest time. The Eagles have had plenty of time to rest up and heal up. You know, they don't have guys who are all banged up. I look back at that Farrow Cooper, was muff punts. He was playing with injuries. Like He had a shoulder injury, and before the game, he was questionable to even be, you know, on the field. And I, I'm sure probably someone on the coaching staff is like, man, we should have just let him rest. You know, like they, they're probably second guessing and wondering, you know, just how much health is back there into this. So the Eagles coming in nice and fresh. And, you know, it's kind of that double edged sword. Yeah, you're you had plenty of time to rest. But how rusty does that make you? Mm. You know, I, I think they've been reading a lot of bullets and board material about how they're the underdogs. So I think they're going to be rested and ready to play. OK. All right, we're picking the Eagles, guys. Get your get your shit together, man. We're going for it, and I, I'm feeling good about that pick. Me too, actually. Uh, okay, the, one of the other crazy scenarios we saw this past weekend was the Titans and the Chiefs. Titans absolutely upset the Chiefs. The Chiefs are now going down this atrocious Andy Reid, Jinx Road, Alex Smith, as much as everyone was talking about him being an MVP, Kareem Hunt being an MVP, I mean, it looked to me like the real MVP of that team was Travis Kelsey because the Chiefs looked like world beaters until Travis Kelsey left in the second quarter with a concussion, and then it seemed to be like all Tennessee Titans. And if anything, this feels more like an indictment of the Chiefs because I've never thought that the Titans were a particularly great team or good team, and, you know, they pulled out a win. They pulled out a gutsy win. Derrick Henry had some great plays to really step up and make the game. And you got to give credit to Marcus Mariota for all of the inconsistent play we've seen him do over the last three years. I mean, he stepped up and made plays when they really needed to be. I mean, the guy threw a touchdown pass to himself. And sorry, you look at that replay in years to come, and you're going to realize Darrell Revis was the one who passed it back to him. (laughs) And then you're going to remember the fact that fucking he threw the block to seal the game. I mean, 
This was a huge performance by Marcus Mariota and another gigantic collapse by Andy Reid. Give me some thoughts on this game. Credit to Marcus Mariota. I say he plays a little bit too recklessly for a quarterback. But if, man, if his spine isn't the only thing that really, it's his best strength and his his biggest weakness. I said he's probably going to shorten his, his playing career by two or three years by being this reckless. But look, man, some of those blocks he throws, and he's done this before. He did it as a rookie. I remember he threw a nasty block uh, on somebody. He, he, he just has his penchant for, like, putting everything out there on the field. So, look, the Titans really have no business being here. And I, I was a few drinks in the night of the game, and I said this, I was, I was trying to explain to someone who didn't really watch football, and it would confuse as to why I was so shocked that the Titans were like fighting for their lives in, in this game. And I said they really should not be here. They have no business in this wild card game, and they're here. Uh, On the other side of the coin, the fucking Kansas City Chiefs. Holy shit. Alex Smith is probably going to be a Jet next year at this point because this goddamn offense is so one-fucking-dimensional and they cannot figure out. They get so stuck. They come into these games with this set routine. This is their strategy. This is our game plan. And let's just say they're getting rocked at halftime. They don't know how to adjust. They don't know how to change. And this, I mean, factor in this game, it happened going into the third and fourth quarter. Derrick Henry comes out with a big touchdown run. And, you know, Travis Kelsey gets hurt, and all of a sudden they forget how to put fucking points on the board. Yeah. This is exactly what happened with the Jets. They were beating the Jets at halftime. I think they put two touchdowns up on them in the first quarter. And I said to myself, oh, my God, this thing's pretty much done. I should just go out and go have fucking brunch. And they somehow let these teams work their way back into the game, and they have no idea kind of how to adapt. You know, it, it's it's mind-boggling. And it's there's so many indictments across the board. I don't know if it's necessarily an Alex Smith thing. I mean, I'm sure in part it's something, you know, his fault, but it's also the looking staff. You know, Kelsey can't be your only weapon. Yeah. They put no coverage on Tyreek Hill, and he was out of the game. He's pretty much, you know, he checked out. And then I'm so frustrated right now. I don't know why. I have no dog in this race. It's okay. I mean, we we this is not the first time we've seen this Chiefs team lose the game because I don't think the Tennessee Titans won the game. I think they did everything they could to be in the game, and inevitably they had the better score at the end of it, but the Chiefs gave this thing away from a missed field goal by Harrison Butker to the terrible you know touchdowns they gave up in the second half to Eric Decker and Derrick Henry. I'm not saying they were bad touchdowns, but I'm saying – this is what a shitty defense will do in the second half of the game. And it came to fruition in front of an entire stadium of Kansas City fans. And I don't really know if Andy Reid needs to be the coach for them next year. It's, it's weird because they're kind of in this very strange transitional period. That defense, which was once so good, is it's old now. They, they have injuries and they're not as sharp and as crisp as they used to be. And it, it, you know, it leaks through. But at some point, I mean, in this game, the the, the pipes, they burst. They they gave up so many points in the second half, and just, I mean, the Mariota pass himself was kind of like, all right, like you know, you you got to eat that. Yeah. But at the same time, just that Derrick Henry touchdown, touchdown. you yeah, that's that inexcusable. That was brutal, you know, for this defense. So it, it's it, it, that that window that they have with these guys, you know, you have. I, I'm I'm just speechless. I still I'm like reliving that night at the bar where I was like, I could not believe this was happening. The Titans was probably one game where I was sure of the outcome. I was like, there's no way they this Titans team it should come out here and 
you know, as sloppy as they've played all season, come out here and, and beat this Chiefs team. I definitely but, did not think we were going to see two AFC South teams win a wild card game this weekend. It's crazy. Um, so aside from the Titans nearly shooting themselves in the foot multiple times in this game, so many dropped passes, so many overthrown passes by the Titans. Yeah. They're advancing to play the New England Patriots in New England this weekend. Um, so now we're dealing with the, the Titans playing the Patriots. Um, I think we already all felt that the Chiefs were a favorite, and now we're looking at the Titans against the Patriots, who, listen, aside from all the Patriot drama, we're ready to anoint the Patriots as the Super Bowl champions already. So give me some thoughts on this matchup. I'm so upset because it should be the Chiefs, and I should be conflicted because the Chiefs have just this X-factor feeling against the Patriots. Mm -hmm. They beat them to start the season. And now I have to deal with watching the fucking Titans I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure, I feel like the Patriots are going to come in here and just shred them and go, all right, are you kidding me? Like, the, you're not going to get lucky, you know, two matchups in a row. I think they're going to come in here. Or they, Sorry, they, the Titans are going to come into Foxborough and get fucking chewed up and spit out. You know, all the, the theatrics and the heroics by Mariota and Henry are, are, are pretty much to a, a, a close. I think Henry's going to have a great game. He's so young and so talented, and I think we forget just how dominant he was in college, and I'm still amazed. I, I think I laughed on draft day when the Titans took him and they already had, you know, they just signed this just primo running back. Uh, and I was like, are you kidding me? Why would you stock up on one position like this? And now, you know what? It's looking like actually a damn good idea. Yeah. So Henry's an absolute stud, and he's probably the... The biggest bright spot they have, I, even with Mariota's gutsiness, I, I think he's probably prone to throw like an interception or two in this game, just just out of sheer pressure going up against like the greatest quarterback of all time. I have too much confidence in Bill Belichick's coaching staff to game plan properly against this Tennessee team to think that Tennessee's even going to have a prayer against them. I mean, listen, it's yeah. playoff football. Tennessee's playing pretty darn well. Mariota has got some guts in him. I mean, he definitely knows how to get in there and muck it up. But, I mean, this Patriots team is going to dismantle them. I think the Patriots are favored by, like, 13 points right now. I, I mean, this feels like the AFC Championship game against the Colts, the deflate gate when they put, like, 45 points on the Colts in the first half or something like that. I just... I don't think the Titans just have anything to really even slow down the Patriots one bit. I mean, it's all Patriots. I don't even I don't even have to think about this one. I mean, I could literally, you know, rip it apart and tell you how I think the, the Patriots could be defeated by the Titans. I could tell you what I think the Titans need to do to actually win the game, but I just can't see it happening. It's all I'm going all Patriots. Yeah, this is a this is a playoff tune up for the Patriots, just to kind of whet their appetites. Now, um, the next thing we got to talk about was, I want to go to this Panthers-Saints game. This was very, very exciting. This was a hell of a game, uh, and flipped the script. This was something that I think, you know, with everything we'd seen throughout the season, there was an expectation of the Saints going ground and pound. Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, uh, you know, trying to push the ball like that, but that's not the game we got. They tried to do it a little bit early in the game. And you know what? The Panthers were getting pretty stiff on the run. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, did you guys forget? We have Drew Brees as our quarterback. And Michael Thomas, one of the most, listen, he's officially an like under, underrated, amazing wide receiver in the league because Drew Brees looked 
like 2009 Super Bowl Drew Brees, putting the ball exactly where he needed it to be, throwing it downfield. I mean, they started the game with an 80-yard touchdown to Ted Ginn Jr., which was right on the money. He threw up the seams to Josh Hill, which was perfect. And then there were plays made by Michael Thomas all throughout the game that just were game changers. Oh, yeah, and in the fourth quarter, when you forgot about the running game, that's when Alvin Kamara and Ingram came in and started to really do some damage. I I just, I mean, and then to see Cam Newton throw two fourth-quarter touchdowns after I texted you and thought he had a friggin' concussion and shouldn't come back into the game, I I mean, I didn't even know what the hell I was seeing. So give me some of your thoughts on this game. Well, I I said it before the game that I expected it to be a high-scoring affair. And I expected, you know, that the running backs were going to play a big part in this game. But I was way off base in in terms of how this whole thing was going to play out. I had zero clue that, you know, one of the most fearsome uh, dual running backs in NFL history would be so limited in this game. And we would see vintage Drew Brees. And I shouldn't call it vintage because he was doing all this last year, you know. Oh yeah, I mean this is this this year was an anomaly when he sort of took a back seat to the running back yeah. duo. But I mean, it was like it was like, oh, you guys, did you you better slow your roll because I'm still Drew motherfucking Breeze. Look, just credit to, and I feel like the the Saints receivers just have this history of being kind of unsung. You had Marcus Colston, who was a fantastic receiver in his prime. Brandon Cooks had a damn good you know career out there. And you got Michael Thomas again. These guys really kind of fly under the radar. I think we're so enamored with Drew Brees and just his ability to kind of air it out to anyone that we kind of forget who these actual guys are catching the ball. But Michael Thomas has been great all season. And I look, if you're going to have just a, a textbook Drew Brees performance, this was the game to have it. And Ted Ginn, former Carolina Panther, you know, I expected early in the season that he would kind of, make his himself known but he didn't really have as big a season and as big an impact as i thought he would which is fine because you know what if you're going to do that in the playoffs i'll take it so look credit to also this defense at the end of the game where cam newton with you know a receiver and a half out there um still keeping his team in the game and throwing touchdowns after probably the panthers maybe violated the concussion protocol but whatever yeah just maybe just a little bit um, Cameron Jordan, uh, you know, Cameron Jordan's trolled monster, monster season. game by Cam Jordan. Terrifying. He looked like he was just hitting, um, blocking bags out there. Like he was at practice, just bowling through. And that one last sack where he ran over on um, the tackle and then the poor, what, was it McCaffrey on the block? Uh, it was either McCaffrey or it was a left tackle. I think Matt Khalil, the left tackle. I read somewhere he was calling the uh, Matt Khalil, the left tackle, a uh, speed bump McGee. Speed bump. That was great. I don't think it was Khalil on the block on that one, though. It was someone else. I think they probably said, we can't have Khalil out there. He's We're getting killed. I think they put someone else, which didn't matter. He, he swam past that guy, and I think I, I want to say it was McCaffrey, but he basically backed McCaffrey into Newton. Just literally just, just plowed him into Newton, and then the whole play broke down after that. When I, I just was, Jesus Christ, like, I can't believe this. Is, he just made it look so easy. And I think if he just, before every game, put up Cam Newton's head on whatever quarterback <laughs> playing that week, I think he'd be, like, you know, the sacks leader every year for, like, the next years. He just has so much material for Cam Newton. I mean, he's terrifying when he's, um, you know, at full speed. I do feel that the Panthers' weaknesses were their undoing. I think the Panthers have had issues on the offensive line for a lot of the year. I don't 
you know, I think their offensive line is is decent, but not really good, and that that was exposed in this game. What, something else I want to mention about the Saints was I saw some vulnerabilities with their defense. You know, when the fourth quarter came around, you know, Marshawn Lattimore made some gigantic plays. And yeah. we cannot, you know, we cannot overlook the fact that Lattimore and Cam Jordan were game wreckers and were huge in deciding the outcome of this game. But there were some giant plays that they left on the, that they, you know, that they gave up to Cam Newton in the fourth quarter. I mean, that... That's that pass to Christian McCaffrey was really something that they couldn't have let. You can't let that thing up. Like if you want to be, really if you want to win the Super Bowl, teams like the Minnesota Vikings or the New England Patriots, they will kill you with plays like that. And if they keep doing things like this, it's sort of like inevitably you're going to need to go looking back at Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara to be like, hey, we need more magic from the offensive side of the ball. And you know, against a team like the Panthers, I'm excited to see the Saints looking so dominant. But against the team, you know, and you know what? Let's start segueing this right into the Vikings-Saints matchup because now I'm thinking about the Saints going to play the Vikings. Now, these two teams played in week one, and I think they were two drastically different teams. Okay, the Vikings had Sam Bradford. Uh, The the, the Saints defense was dog shit for the first couple of of weeks. It was the Saints defense the last couple of of years. It it took till about week four, week five with the, you know, emergence of Marshawn Lattimore for them to turn into this world-beating defense that they are. But now you're going back up against the Vikings, and this is this is a defense that's not gonna let Drew Brees do what he just did the other day. And it's and it's a defense that's not gonna let these running backs do whatever the hell they want to do either. So what are you seeing? that could really actually be an undoing for the Saints against the Vikings because I see ways for the Saints to beat them, but I also see lots of opportunities for the Saints to lose to the Vikings. Uh, any, Give me some thoughts on this preview. Well, I have to kind of just think about the X factors here. And Kyle Rudolph, I think, is going to be a big X factor. Uh, I, it looks like the Saints have a lot of trouble covering tight ends in general over the course of the season. I mean, granted, your tight end usually, unless you've got Gronk on your team or, you know, Travis Kelsey aren't really going to be the focal points of the offense. But I, I think the Minnesota Vikings, not that they're a high-scoring team, but they you know, they like to lock in on certain targets. And Adam Thielen is going to be a big factor. But Kyle Rudolph had eight touchdowns receiving. You wow. know, when they get into the red zone, they like to throw it to him, and he usually delivers for them. He's a really, really consistent target for Case Keenum. So I think he's going to be one of the big keys to the game, even though it's going to seem a little bit low-key. So Kyle Rudolph is one of my big advantages. I think the Minnesota is going to try and run the football again. It's talking about possession, you know, time of possession. It's going to come into play in this. And I'm not necessarily sure uh, McKinnon's going to be the guy. That they're probably going to go Latavius Murray a mm. little bit to kind of give him a little bit of muscle and soften up that defense. But I, I still look, I still like the Saints' chances here. The defense plays not necessarily on the same level as Minnesota, but they play with enough heart and they play with enough aggression that Case Keenum isn't going to get easy throws. He's going to get pressured out there, and it's going to keep them in this game. But I think, ultimately, I'm going to have to edge with the Vikings in this. Look, they're at home. They are at home, right? I'm not crazy. No, they're you're at, no, they're, they're going to be in Minnesota in that brand-new stadium. Yeah, and, I mean, it's just that defense is fresh. They're, they're dangerous. I, I, I think um, 
Breeze is going to have his hands full out there. So I got to go with the Vikings with a slight edge. You know, I'm I'm thinking about this has been one of the trickier matchups for me to think about yeah. be- because Minnesota is really dominant. They're not a team that's sort of dealing with flaws and hindrances like the Eagles right now. I mean, I have a lot of after listen, you could say what you want. Case Keenum has earned the reputation, man. He's earned or not whatever reputation. He's earned his stripes for this season. Okay, he played pretty darn well. Thielen and Diggs are magnificent wide receivers, and you said it. Kyle Rudolph in the red zone is dangerous, and I'm not really too impressed with Murray or McKinnon, you know, either one of them individually, but their run game collectively, Mike Zimmer, you know, I don't think of him as a great offensive mind. I mean, he's a defensive coach, but Pat Shermer's working miracles with that offense, and even though the Saints have got this nasty defense, you saw Cam Newton's passing game hurt them in this game, and the Panthers' passing game was one of their weaker things. You know, we didn't see Jonathan Stewart and Cam Newton run all over this Saints' yeah. defense. We saw him throw the ball. So, the Panthers' weakness was what the Saints what's was what they were able to exploit against the Saints' defense. So now I'm sitting here going, you know, I think the Saints' defense is going to put a little bit more of a whooping on Case Keenum and try to slow them down. But I think you're totally right, Shaka. I think they're going to ground and pound. I think they're going to throw the ball when they need to. They're going to dominate time of possession and bleed that clock. They're going to get a lead. And then they're going to hope to God that that amazing defense of theirs is not able is, is able to stop Drew Brees and that offense from getting big plays. Because you know the Saints are all about big plays. They're all about a 70-yard run by Alvin Kamara. They're about an 80-yard touchdown to Ted Ginn. And, you know, I think actually... By midway through the game, I think the Saints had scored like three touchdowns, but they'd only been in the red zone once. So you got to look back at that and think, I don't think this this Vikings defense is going to let them just get chunk plays like that. Yeah, they're not going to give up big plays. I also have to factor in one thing I don't really think about. Um, Adam Thielen, just in terms of the amount of receptions he had on a season you know, versus actual yardage, he basically kind of fills that void that you would usually have with your running backs, you know, where he just mm. 91 catches for 1,200 yards. He kind of makes up that, you know, that chunk yardage you get, like, you know, four yards, six yards, eight yards towards the first down. And he fills that void for them, which is what kind of keeps their offense, one, moving on the field. Two, it keeps the time of possession in their favor. So I think that if you don't want to give up big plays, you know, you got to hold on to the football. You got to keep the time of possession on your side. And I think you want to keep one of the best quarterbacks of all time in a Hall of Famer in Drew Brees. You want to keep his ass off the field. You got to you got to keep the ball in your hands. So that's why I think Latavius Murray's going to get a lot of run. I mean, he's healthy. He hasn't really had any, you know, injuries in the last weeks of the season. So I think he's going to get a chance to be, you know, the workhorse and ultimately kind of the guy playing keep away from this uh, Saints offense. I'm going with the Vikings as well, man. That's right. We're picking the Vikings. We're looking right now. Shaka and I are calling for Eagles Vikings in the NFC Championship. You heard it here first. Okay, we got to talk about probably you know very very sentimental for many Bills and Jaguars fans, but for most football you know spectators, it was somewhat of a drab, boring game. It was not exciting. It was defensive all over the place. Jaguars beat the Bills ten to three. Um, Blake Bortles threw for 86 passing yards and a touchdown. He ran for 87 yards. I mean, it was really a situation where Blake Bortles won the game by scrambling for first downs on second and third down, which, 
in a way, I, I, it's hard for me to even rationalize something else that was, this whole game was bizarre. I mean, I look and, and I watched this game. Okay, Jaguars Jaguars offense looked like dog shit. Okay, Blake Bortles could not throw the ball. It looked all of his passes looked pretty bad, and the team that moved the ball offensively was the Bills. I mean, against the best defense in the league, the best drives that I saw in this game were the Bills' drives. And the only other time that the Jaguars were able to move the ball was was Blake Bortles getting it with his legs. I mean, even when uh, the Jaguars were able to intercept the ball and have it in kind of Bills' territory, they still couldn't move the ball. So as exciting as these defenses are, I mean, I still see the Jaguars limping into the divisional as a lame duck opponent because any defense can really, really, you know, get at Blake Bortles in that offense. And so, I mean, before we move on to the Jaguars and the Steelers, give me some takeaways from this Bills-Jags game. I mean, the only thing I can really think of is vaguely when I saw the throw. If you look at the passing numbers for both quarterbacks, I vaguely recall trying to go back and figure out what the the um what the wind speed was on the field because I was like, is it windy out there? What what's going on? Like these guys are so off in terms of passing. I was like, you're in Jacksonville. Isn't it supposed to be like just brisk and calm and like if anything sweltering, but not windy. I look, Tyrod Taylor, his rough and awkward and unfortunate season is finally over and probably his career with the Bills. Seventeen for thirty seven, which is not a pretty way to go out, but you know, this Jacksonville defense is really, really I mean, the only thing about this game that you can take seriously. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I complete. I mean, listen, LaShawn McCoy was out there on one leg. Uh, Tyrod Taylor did the best he could. Took an atrocious hit at the end of the game. I thought it was unsettling to watch. Um, and you know, listen, I think Tyrod comes out of this game with a little bit of a bad rap. I don't think he's that bad a quarterback. I don't, I don't think he's the greatest. But I mean, yeah. I considering he went up against this Jaguars defense and these ball hawking cornerbacks in Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye, I, I, I kind of feel like I, I can't be too disappointed in what he did. But then again, I don't, I'm not in the Bills front office. You're right. I don't think he's going to be back next year. Um, you know, just great season for the Bills, but they were like the Titans. I don't really know if they deserve to be here. It was a fun story, but I mean, if anything, the Jaguars just took care of business. And what's, what's scary is that they just barely took care of business. Yeah, the scary part is, I mean, hoping that you can go to Blake and say, look, man, that was just, you know, hopefully that was just a case of, you know, everyone has a rough game. I'm sure Tom Brady hasn't had amazing games this season either, but hopefully that's it. And that's kind of out of the out of the gas tank and everything else from here is, you know, actual yardage that, you know, a quarterback should have where you're passing for less than you actually run for in a fucking game. Like, you're not Michael Vick. So Blake Bortles is not Michael Vick. Well, if you know, when you look at a guy getting a playoff win with his legs at quarterback and, you know, not with his arm more often than not, that guy is black. So (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. It's just amazing. Dude, put it out there. (laughs) Just mind boggling to me. Just don't, you're not going to be able to do that against the Steelers. Now Steelers Jags, they played earlier this season. Jaguars won. It was a pretty impressive victory for them against the Steelers team that even then was, you know, considered an offensive powerhouse and was doing some damage. But coming into this matchup, I think the Steelers defense has improved. You know, even with even missing Shazier and missing some other key pieces, the Steelers defense has definitely stepped up. 
And, you know, the Steelers' offense, I think, has even clicked as the season went on. You know, the, you know, the emergence of Juju Smith-Schuster, um, you know, Antonio Brown is supposed to be back on the field. Who knows whether he'll be 100% or not. But even if he's on the field, that's like Randy Moss. As long as he runs a route and you don't even throw it to him, yeah. the defense still has to pay attention. So you know he's still going to cause havoc even if he has two catches for 22 yards. Now, is there any – I mean, do you have – what the hell is there any shot that Blake Bortles and this Jaguars offense is going to be able to move the ball on this Steelers D? Well, you got Leonard Fournette running back, so you got a chance. And Shazier's not up the middle. They at least have some remote chance of being able to move the football somewhat down the field. I think they're going to have to kind of play into it. And I don't really know how good of a receiver is. Uh, Fournette is mm-hmm. out of the backfield. I'm assuming he's solid, but at the same time, God, it, it, it's a really good question. I like Marquise Lee, though I'm not sure if he's even healthy enough to be um, in the conversation this game. They got to deal, you know, with so much. And as it is, Antonio Brown, even like you said, even if he comes back and he's just a decoy, that pretty much takes Jalen Ramsey out of the picture. You know, and you got A.J. Bowie on the other side, but you got Juju Smith-Schuster, you got Martavis Bryant to deal with. They have a lot of problems that they kind of have to manage on the defensive end. So the defense has its hands full. On the offensive side, I I can only hope this kid Keelan Cole is any good. I mean, he seems a little bit slight and undersized in terms of uh, going up against this offense. I mean, uh, this defense, but I don't know, man. At the end of the day, it's still about if this guy can bordle it up or not. <laughs> you know? It really still falls on Blake Bortles to actually deliver. He he can't, you know, he in this game, he can't just be, God, please don't turn the football over. Don't turn the football over. He's going to have to throw it. There's no other way. Roethlisberger, I'm sure, is never, ever, no matter if he throws five interceptions in the game, the game before, or five touchdowns, he's always going to come out ready to throw it. So they're gonna have to put points on the board against this uh, Steelers defense. I uh, I'm seeing the I'm seeing the Steelers. Listen, I think they're gonna struggle against the Jaguars D because the Jaguars D is so tenacious. But I I just the weakest part about the Jaguars D is their run D. I mean, it's crazy to think that, but it's true. And I see the Steelers going heavy with the run. I see them putting Levy and Bell in there and really damaging them up the middle and seeing, you know, Levy and Bell sort of like, you know, kind of hesitation style where he waits for the opening. Man, I think he's going to have a field day. You're going into Heinz Field. I just think that this Steelers team is going to be extremely prepared for this Jaguars defense. And as strong as they are, as good as they are, Pittsburgh's going to put enough points on that board, move the ball just enough that they're going to be able to outscore this team. It's going to be a close game. With Jaguars defense, it's always going to be close, but I'm putting my money on the Steelers. Uh, Look, man, I got to go Steelers, too. I'm looking at the injury report, and it's saying Marquise Lee is out as of the moment, but there's no way they don't step on the field with him. You look at what he did against the Bills, which is absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. They need him on the field to at least give Blake Bortles some kind of confidence that he has a check-down guy. Uh, possession guy with sure hands like Marquise Lee. So they need him to even be remotely in the conversation. But I still got to go to the Steelers. Just too much. This is too much to deal with, too much to handle. Um, I don't think the Jaguars have enough to, to get past this. Wow. Whew. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that because we just went through every single conceivable thing about this weekend I think we could have thought of. And uh, 
I'm just I'm just psyched for divisional weekend, man. This is gonna be great. I this past weekend delivered, and I mean this weekend shouldn't should not disappoint one bit. These are great matchups. These are great teams. And I mean, right now, I mean, anything could happen. I could see any of these, the only ones, you know, well, the AFC is kind of dog shit now that we've got two AFC South teams in there. But I mean, I really feel like even in those games, the sparks could fly and we could have just about any outcome. Whew. I'm excited, man. Are you excited? I'm excited, man. I'm super, super. I, granted, I'm still not in love with that Titans Patriots game. Everything else about the playoffs that you can possibly, you know, just be jazzed for. If you're a football fan, like, you're fucking ready to go. Like, you don't need any kind of amp. You don't need us to hype you up. You're, like, excited to see what's going to happen this weekend. Dude, so excited. Thank you, everybody, for listening, because we're going to be back next week to talk about whatever happens in this crazy divisional weekend. Uh, so, uh, thanks a lot for listening to Sam Sports Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones. You can also email Shaka and I with any trash talking or mailbag questions at SamSportsStation at gmail.com. Guys, that's all we got for this weekend. Enjoy the divisional games. We'll be back next week to rip them apart and preview the conference championships. But uh, in the meantime, enjoy the football, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Enjoy the games, guys.